Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening. Joining me from his new home in San Antonio, Texas, Andrew Lopez. Still, still just me and my little my little bobblehead back here. I'm just <laughs> enjoying enjoying these Texas sunsets. Second consecutive podcast, we've had somebody shilling with the ESPN gear on. It was McMahon the other night, and now you wearing ESPN gear. I don't know if you think the bosses look at this and I am I am nothing you... if if nothing but a company man. I I will <laughs> That's why the yeah, bob well, why the bobbleheads here. I'll leave it at that before we get in trouble. Joining us from <laughs> Los Angeles, California, you know that room raider that um Twitter X formerly known as Twitter uh account that like rates people's backdrops like Ohm is 10 out of 10 on the hoop collective if you're watching this on YouTube with his shoe closet or whatever you're in there. Ohm Young Musuk. Good day, Wendy. Good Sunday, Spartans land. Jason Richardson's son, four-star recruit. Should have known this was going to happen, though, because when I was up there during Spartan week, I did say I did see Tom Izzo get a FaceTime call from Jason Richardson's son. So should have known then that he was probably <laughs> on his way to Michigan State. I think he was actually on his way to the, a recruiting visit that that day. So I do believe he goes by Jace. Is that correct? Yes. Jace Richardson? Yes, Jace. Yep. Okay. So congrats to the Spartans. They need some good news, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. So in L.A. tonight, the Bucks played the Lakers in a preseason game. It was in and of itself not that important, but it was the first time Dame Lillard and Giannis Tenacumpo played together on the same court. One of the big sort of events of the preseason, the fact that it was on national television on ESPN was obviously a plus. LeBron did not play. Anthony Davis did and looked pretty good. Um, yes. By the way, that's not breaking news that Anthony Davis looked good. Um, but certainly if you're a Laker fan, you had to like what you saw with that. Also, Austin Reeves, who's been taking it a little easy after um, uh, after Team USA over the summer, also didn't play. But AD played 16 minutes or 19 minutes and had 16, 7 and 5. <laughs> he looked uh, very good. Uh, also had two steals and two blocks. Only took two three pointers in twenty minutes. I don't know if that extrapolates out to the six that Darvin Ham wants, but that no. continues to be one of the strangest <laughs> preseason proclamations that I've seen. But anyway, that's not what we want to talk about. By the way, the Bucks won by uh, eleven. It's what we saw from Dame Lillard and Giannis. And let me just say that what my takeaway from this game was that Dame Lillard and Giannis were Dame Lillard and Giannis. They were absolutely the players that you know them to be, and there was no issue whatsoever. And what I would say is, is that I think, I, I don't think they did anything special and they didn't really show that they were quote unquote working on anything together. They just kind of went out there and stretched their legs and were sort of a killer offensive force. Dame had a bad shooting night by his standards. He was three at 10. He played 22 minutes. Uh, he got to the foul line. He drew a, um, he had one and one and he had one foul on a three point play. But he had 14 points. He just he just didn't really he was just he did Dame stuff. He didn't do much. Giannis played 15 minutes and destroyed. He had <laughs> 16 points, eight rebounds, an assist, two blocks, and four turnovers. It was a very Giannis performance. What I would say, my takeaway from this game, guys, and I'll throw it to you in a second. I don't think they've really done, at least they were not ready to take the wraps off anything that they're doing together. So for example, Giannis got eight rebounds. I'm not sure how many of them were defensive. My guess is six or seven of them were defensive. Most of them were defensive. And as is typical with Giannis, when he gets a defensive rebound, he initiates the offense. He goes down the floor. And when that happened, Dame spaced the floor. 
they didn't really have any action set up to take advantage of Giannis uh, with Dame. Now, obviously, Dame has played with other guards who initiate offense in his career. He played the bulk of his career with C.J. McCollum. It's not like he hasn't played where he's been off the ball initiating the offense before, but he's never played with a guard who would draw a double team. And Giannis comes down, and if he does any penetration whatsoever, he draws double teams. It's natural. So they didn't really have anything in their scheme or offense that would sort of take advantage of that, um, that they showed in their first game together. So right off the bat, I could just see where that is a great opportunity because it's just it's basic basic strategy, basic analysis. I wonder if if um, how many possessions in Dame's career has there been a guy who's been double teamed who's on the court besides him? Obviously, I'm sure teams have double teamed guys in the post before. Maybe if CJ McCollum was super hot and they a team was trapping, something like that would happen. But as a part of natural business, I don't know if I've ever seen it. So there was a couple times where Giannis got doubled and he kicked to Dame and Dame would swing the ball. They were able to generate a lot of open looks. And my takeaway, Ohm, was the Bucks, which is not breaking news. The Bucks are going to just ooze points. Like they're just gonna, they're just gonna ooze points. They're gonna have average nights where they're great on offense. And when they have great nights, like I think it's I think I sort of feel like the same way about the Suns, who are just just vomiting out points, like you know, stretching. They score 15 points while they're stretching pregame. That's what I see from the Bucks right out of the gates in, in of this these two guys together. Yeah, I think tonight you saw there was one play maybe where Dame threw the ball up court and transitioned to Giannis and Giannis scores. And it just looks like you can see this happening so many nights. What I wonder is like, I'm fascinated by how much pick and roll they're going to play together and what that's going to look like when Giannis is rebounding and then taking the ball to the floor. And these teams try to create that wall. Like they usually do to stop Giannis from getting in the paint. And then he throws it out to Dame. I just feel like Dame is going to see so much more open space and air than he's so used to. Um, and then we could actually see him probably driving a lot and creating um, because, you know, they're going to be guys trying to run him off the line. And so I think that's one underrated thing about Dame. We always think of him as this guy that spreads the floor, shoots deep threes, things like that. But now I think we could see him driving the lane a lot more too because guys are going to be trying to run him off the floor. I think he's going to see a lot more open space than he's used to because he's not getting that defensive attention. And like I said, I can't wait to see him and Giannis um, do some pick and roll. I think tonight you could see on Giannis's face, it probably was not your normal preseason game because I think he's excited. I think he's excited that he has Dame on his side. Um, I think you you can see them feeding off that. Now, look, Brooke, Brooke Lopez, like he normally does, I think he's hoisting a lot of threes probably. He's going to hoist a lot of threes this season because I think he's going to be wide open with those two guys on the floor. And Middleton, you know, John Horst said on the, on the telecast tonight that Middleton participated in a full practice, is going to get in and one preseason game at least before this preseason's over. And Middleton, I mean, think about this, how much he normally has to create his own shot. I mean, he's going to be probably seeing a lot of open space as well. So it's going to be exciting for them. I think the one thing that I saw tonight, you talk about the pick and rolls. Obviously, we're going to see a lot of Dane the ball handler Giannis setting the screen. There was one instance I remember tonight. Giannis has, <clears throat> Giannis has the ball and Dame comes to set the screen. And I think Brooke yeah. is chilling. I think Brooke's in that left corner. So if you're, if you're helping off there, okay, you're giving up to a, to a, a very good three-point shooter. 
if even if you you want to run some sets where it's nobody on that side, you can you can do that. But those I think are the ones that are more intriguing to me of how often we see some variation of 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 Dame setting the screen. And I think uh kind of to, to, to Brian's point earlier, this is going to be a team that is going to score a lot, a lot, a lot of points this year. And I think you know when you can have either one of them just basically, I mean. If if that's how they want to play it, running the point for forty eight minutes, it, you know it, it sets yourself up pretty nicely. Yeah, he uh, Conte made four threes in this game. Um, uh, it was interesting. John Horst talking during the game, and you were right, Om. He did sort of have some news. I didn't know if anybody else reported this, but you know Middleton was full practice. I think he said on Saturday, I guess. Yeah, and um, so that was good. He also was talking about you know how he some of the players uh, he sort of envisioned getting in sort of the shape that would be needed to play, you know, alongside those guys. And um, he specifically mentioned Malik Beasley, you know, working into like a different condition, not that Malik Beasley was out of shape, but like if you move without the basketball with those two guys on the court, you're going to create shots. And um, uh, I did listen to Dame's part of Dame's post game interview. And he was talking about how the game just felt very simple. And I would agree. It was a very simple looking performance they they just executed didn't play great but there was an ease into the way they played so obviously we got we're going to watch them for five six months we're going to see a lot more of that i don't think you could take anything away from that but total belief in that that pairing working than this game i think that both them and the suns those those two teams that sort of built these terrific offseason offensive juggernauts the the Celtics team is, you know, constructed a little bit different, but both them and the Suns, you know, the Suns have had a couple of games where they played their guys where they just slayed offensively so far, and and that definitely looked like the case uh, in this one. So, like, I think I think um, usually when you see two superstars try to team up for the first time, usually you worry about like ego shots, things like that. Who's the man? Uh, you know, who's going to you know basically give up uh, a certain type of alpha role. In, in this case, with these two guys and their personalities and how well they get along with everyone, it you, you don't have to worry about ego. If anything, you might have to worry about Giannis trying too hard to make this work or Dame trying too hard to make this work. But I, I, I feel like they could get off to a slower start just because they got to get to know all these new pieces and everything like that. But I feel like with Giannis, I think he's going to be so rejuvenated and so excited. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Milwaukee rolls right out of the gate and gets it going. I agree. I just think, yeah, go ahead, Andrew. No, I was going to say the one, I go back to what he said last week about, you know, this is the one time he, uh, Giannis being, it's the one time he'd be happy if his, his usage was under 30%. And it's, you know, it may, that may be fine. You may need it to still be a little bit above that because depending on how, how things go, but at at least he is, everybody is saying all the right things, but I think like you, like you said, on because of the personalities of these two, it, it really feels like this is a situation right. that is 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 going to like, work because of like how what they, they really kind of have to work out. I mean, yes, they do have to work out the you know their pick and roll timing and all that stuff. But end the game situation now, yes. where it normally was like Chris Middleton, let's get in the ball. He's a finisher. Now you got Dame, one of the all time finishers in league history. I mean, that's going to be I think the close games is where I want to see it play out. And if it plays out to perfection. Where Dame is hitting the shots or Middleton, man, that that's, they're going to be so good. Well, part of the strategy, especially if Middleton is healthy, is to kill games so that you don't have 
end of game yeah. situations. Obviously, you're going to have them, especially in the postseason. <laughs> but these guys could potentially just score so much that on an average night, they're just going to outscore you, even regardless of how their defense is performing. And look, the Lakers ran some plays at Lillard. I mean, this is not this is all basic. They ran some plays at Lillard early on. I know at one point he ended up in a switch on Rui Hachimura, and Hachimura took him right into the post and had an easy basket. Like, okay, that's going to happen. But the upside, probably greater than the downside. The only reason I'm not totally gung-ho on the Bucks being the overwhelming favorite is because their strongest competition got Drew Holiday, obviously. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on that. I think we should talk about the champs a little bit here. Ohm, you spent a media day uh, in Denver and part of the Nuggets training camp with them in San Diego. I don't know if you got to see that. It's right now, It's we're recording this. It's halftime of the Nuggets uh, game with the Bulls. And you may need to go hurry up and write something about Jamal Murray's struggles. Jamal Murray is off to a horrible start. He really struggled in the first half tonight played 15 minutes and scored 18 points. Um, <laughs> kind of worried about him. You, I mean, uh, maybe they may not be the favorite. Um, Jokic, after absolutely dominating his first game the other night, he also had a very rough first half, a very low production first half against the Bulls. Um, in 17 minutes, he had 10 points, eight rebounds, five assists. Um, obviously, both guys struggling. I don't even know if they're going to play the second half in this game. But um, I just wanted to know what your takeaways were from um, from seeing and being around the Nuggets early on in this season. I don't I don't even know why Nikola came back from Serbia. He could just come back for opening night, stay there and continue summer of Jokic a little bit longer. He probably get a little more dancing that. and singing in a little more karaoke, a little more bare chested karaoke. I know he I think I saw a picture um, from Katie Wingy, the sideline reporter for the Nuggets, I think they, or maybe it was the Nuggets' main social media account that he was watching horse racing while on the uh, trainer's table. So, uh, Jokic, you know, look, if he's if he was out of shape at all after the summer, Jokic, and I don't think anybody would have blamed him for celebrating the whole summer away after how he played in the playoffs. Um, he actually it's like he's putting up triple double numbers already in these preseason games and is already on cruise control. I I do think the Nuggets, the question for them is incorporating some of these new pieces. No more Bruce Brown, no more um, Jeff Green. You know, so now they got Reggie Jackson in there. You've got Christian Brown steps up, takes a bigger role. You've got other vets like, you know, uh, Holiday and these these young rookies, younger guys like. Julian Strother, man, he has been having a great preseason for him tonight. He had a block from behind where he pinned somebody. Um, he's hitting a lot of threes. Not to say that this is going to happen in the regular season, because I think like anything with Michael Malone, you got to earn his trust. Um, and that especially goes for Peyton Watson, who they have, you know, big hopes for to kind of be an exciting piece off of the bench. But when it comes to the starters, that starting unit, they're still on cruise control. They still look great. Tonight, there was one play. Jamal Murray kind of did his little dribbling, found Jokic open. Jokic had like basically a little mini 12-foot uh, runner that he could have scored on easily. Instead, he throws a lob to Aaron Gordon for a dunk. The chemistry there is just like, it's like they never took any time off, which, you know, the one thing I had heard about the Nuggets during the offseason was, Everybody was partying and celebrating it up and really enjoying their summer. So you kind of wondered how they would look 
when they came back. And I think Michael Malone ran them through a pretty, a pretty hard camp. Um, unfortunately, and then when his father passed away, uh, rest in peace to Brendan Malone, who was an amazing, amazing figure in the NBA for a long time. The father of the Jordan rules. Um, Michael Malone still hasn't rejoined the team, obviously. But, um, you know, I think Malone, up to the point when he left the team, had pretty much, you know, he, 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 he was conditioning them and keeping them in good shape. So let me just say something about Brendan Malone. I actually meant to do this on Sunday and forgot. <clears throat> Boy, I'm, I'm reaching that age where, unfortunately, I'm having to talk about people that I knew and respected who are passing away. And this is like the third time in like six months. Well, Brendan Malone was one of those people. Brendan Malone was one of the people that I learned from early in my career. He was an assistant coach with the Cavaliers and later interim head coach that I covered. And, you know, obviously, if you know about Michael, you know that he is a firebrand. He is um, extremely emotional, talks his talk, is not afraid to show his emotion um, and, you know, sort of swings wildly. That was not his dad. His dad was absolutely completely low key, <laughs> never changed the tone of his voice almost and had an incredible dry wit. I can think right off the bat of two jokes 20 years ago. One time, Dan Gilbert had just bought the Cavs and he was pumping money into the team. But at the time, like Dan Gilbert, like the day after he bought the team, which was in the middle of the season, he just started like giving him better everything. And unfortunately, the Cavs started, soon that started happening, immediately started losing. Ready to start. And um, they were in the middle of this losing streak where they were losing basically falling all the way out of the playoffs from like third or fourth place when Gilbert bought the team. And they had this game. I don't remember where it was, but it was part of a road trip and the, the Cavs were getting blown out on the road and they showed the bench late in the game. And there were players on the bench laughing. LeBron wasn't one of them, but there were players on the bench laughing. And I remember there was a practice the next day in Philadelphia. I don't remember where I had flown from that morning, but it was a practice in Philadelphia. And I had to ask Brendan Malone, who was the interim head coach? Well, what did you think about the players laughing as you're getting blown out, like you know when you're on this five-game losing streak? And he goes, "I don't know. Maybe that's when they found out we were having lobster on the plane." And that line was so amazing <laughs> because at one point he was making fun of people getting into a twist about guys laughing on the bench, taking a shot at the idea that the Cavs were getting all this like luxury, you know, and also kind of like mocking my question like all in one fell swoop. And um, I just remember that line. Like I had a hard time not, not laughing. Like it was, it was such a perfect line for that moment. And he, it was on the record. I used it. I used it yeah. in, this, in the paper. You know, maybe their players found out they were getting lobster on the plane that night. And then I remember after that season, they basically fired the whole coaching staff and the whole front office, except for Brendan. They kept Brendan. He was like the one man left over. And I remember being at the pre-draft camp and when he fired everybody, Dan Gilbert had a press conference and he said, we're going to, and he probably didn't fire Brendan Malone because Brendan Malone won two championships in Detroit with the Pistons and Dan Gilbert being from Detroit worshiped the Pistons. And yeah. that was part of the defense. <laughs> and so Dan Gilbert like announced, basically, we're going to have a team like the Pistons. Like at the time, the Pistons were number one defense in the league. And, uh, you know, we're going to be defensive first and all this stuff. You know, he made this announcement, like that's the GM we're going to hire. That's the coach we're going to hire going to be defense first. And so I remember being at the pre-draft camp and Brendan was the only representative there from the Cavs. And they had nobody, everybody else was fired. 
And I remember standing next to him as he was watching the the players play. And he goes, um, defense. The owners want defense. Never heard that before. That's a really good idea. <laughs> I mean, just, um, you know, and, and like his his balance would like, you know, he was Stan Van Gundy's assistant for a long time. He was Chuck Daly's assistant Jeff for a Van long Gundy. time. Jeff Van Gundy. Um, his balance with that sort of low-key, grounded, you know, never changed facial expression. Obviously a championship coach. Um, was head coach of the Toronto Raptors, was their first head coach. Yeah. So anyway, um, I had long phone conversations with him. Uh, just knew the game so well. So was able to give the game in such a a plain but a valuable way. And I know that he was very proud of Michael because, yeah. you know, Michael kind of lost his way there a little bit in his 20s. And coaching kind of saved him. Not saved him like he was, you know, going to be in jail, but like kind of saved you know, his career path. Yeah. I think he initially wanted to be a firefighter at home. Wasn't it? I think he, yeah. he might've surprised somebody from New York. I mean, he has that, or in... maybe the cop, I don't know, an Irish, I know yeah. an Irish cop yeah. in New York. You'd never hear that, but uh, he'd be a great cop. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He would be a brawler. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this is diversion. Rest in peace, Brendan Malone. I'm you so know, glad I, you I did to, to see say, Michael. Yeah. You know, Brendan Malone, I introduced myself to him. When I was at Michigan State, I used to go to Detroit Piston games. This is when it was the Grant Hill, Allen Houston era. And I used to go as a student working freelance for the Lansing State Journal. And I, they weren't taking anything from me, but I still went and got a credential and went to as many games as I could. And I introduced myself to Brendan Malone. I grew up a Chicago Bulls fan, so I did not like anyone from that Detroit Piston era let alone the architect of the Jordan rules. Uh, that book I read, Sam Smith book, multiple times. And But he, you know what? He's like, he always had time. He didn't care if you were a 20-year-old student at Michigan State trying to break in the business or later on when he was in New York as an assistant and I was, you know, the backup Knicks writer behind Frank Isola for the New York Daily News. I could talk basketball with him whenever, wherever. And it was just like he had time for you. And he had time to also teach you about the game. You know what That's I mean? Right. If you had questions That's about right. things. And this it's amazing to think that the guy who devised the Jordan rules, the thing that just frustrated Michael Jordan for so long, you would think was this aggressive, hyperactive guy who would just, you know, an a-hole, basically. And this guy was exactly how you described him. Calm, cool, demeanored, nice, approachable from anybody. And yet here's this guy that devised this, this unbelievable defense that frustrated Michael Jordan for a long time. Yeah. So anyway, rest in peace, Brendan Malone, and condolences to the Malone family. Anyway, so um, I remember seeing somebody or maybe one or two people say that the Nuggets had a quote-unquote disappointing offseason. <laughs> because they lost Bruce Brown, I guess. Um, they didn't extend Jamal Murray. I mean, <laughs> don't ask Jamal about that, by the way. He says he doesn't understand anything about an extension and how that works. <laughs> I think he does understand it. He just doesn't yeah, want to so talk too. about it. He probably doesn't understand why the media cares so much about it. Why, why like, you don't perceive that they had a bad off season, do you? No, I, I they didn't have a sexy offseason. That's that's what right. it is. When you look around the league and you see this arms race that's going on and everybody adding pieces here and there and 
they saw it. You know what I mean? Like the day before media day, they came in and the buzz was about, oh, Dame Lillard just ended up in Milwaukee and Drew Holiday is now in Boston. And, you know, how come the Nuggets didn't make this massive move? They didn't have to. I mean, the thing, you know, I wonder is like you look around the league and all these teams are making these moves, but how many teams actually made a move to really adjust to beat the Nuggets? and try to slow down Nikola Jokic. Brian, you see this, and Lopez, you've seen this too, like usually after a champion has an unbelievable postseason tear or a superstar for that matter, so many times you see teams make their offseason moves catered to stopping that guy. We didn't see a ton of teams do that, load up on bigs or whatever have you. I know, I understand the game's game's not played that way, but the fact of the matter is, how are teams still going to stop Nikola Jokic? You still have to figure out a way to stop him. And I think the Nuggets knew we have the best starting five out of anybody, no matter who else makes all these other moves. And then so it's just a matter of can we find these other pieces to come off the bench? Michael Malone tends to play eight guys, you know, eight, nine guys, whatever it may be. So he's going to keep his rotation tight. He's going to play his starters a lot of minutes. So we just need a couple other guys to step up. They love what they saw with Christian Brown. They think an expanded role, he's going to be better. Reggie Jackson, we're going to have to see if he can kind of rejuvenate his career. They did, re- they did re-sign him yeah. to a number that was and So, they, than so initially coming out of camp, he's the backup point guard they're going to need. It, I think for me, for me with the Nuggets, it's about the intangibles a little bit. Like, A, can they stay healthy? B, the leadership in the locker room. Like, they lost Jeff Green. That was a big leadership piece for them. Right, Smith Jeff was, Green another was another vocal right. veteran yeah, leader for Jeff them. Green. So Michael Malone's like, I need Jokic. I need Murray to take more ownership of this locker room. But I know you guys can lead by example. I want you guys to be more vocal. I want you guys to be be, be better leaders. I think that's where you're going to see a step up. And, and, you know, he also challenged Jamal Murray in an, basically a kind of contract year with this extension. Go out there and do what you did in the postseason. But take that, do that for the entire regular season and become a first time all-star and become first time all NBA. And so I think that challenge and that nugget, that nugget, sorry, no pun intended, that <laughs> nugget out there is out there for Jamal Murray. I think he's going to be motivated for that to get those things. And then obviously get his big extension. By the way, the first minute of the second, uh, the second half, Jamal Murray hit a three. So he's <laughs> obviously <clears throat> gotten his footing underneath him. Yeah. See, that's a good thing. He didn't go play for team Canada because, uh, it's funny him and Jokic had a funny moment uh, at the at the podium on media day where somebody said what happened why didn't you why did you pull out of team Canada and Jokic goes two a day practices (laughs) and he was right on Jamal just started laughing because Jamal didn't want both of them didn't want to have any any more practices last summer after their long run (laughs) well I submit that if Jokic had shown up literally the morning of the final the World Cup final that Serbia was in that Serbia would have won and that they would have just immediately put him in. Like they didn't, wouldn't have cared that he hadn't been with them for the last six yeah. weeks. They would have been like right in, but yeah, the Serbian team, they might've been three a day practices for the Serbian team. So Jokic was definitely, uh, that might've been definitely a factor for him. So yeah, they, they definitely are relying on their younger guys. So you mentioned Peyton Watson, who was their first round pick last year, who's a wing with good size that he's going to get big minutes. Uh, or more expanded minutes. They obviously got a bad break with Flatco Kanchar, who had his knee uh, this summer. But also, I don't know how much he'll play, but Julian Strother, who was the 29th pick, 
yeah. their draft pick out of you know Gonzaga. they follow they follow the formula that they had they found the success with Christian Brown which is to draft guys that have been in college for a long time uh who come in with a little more they're a little older but they come in with more experience I mean backup power forward is going to be the question mark for them a little bit uh you know they had Jeff Green there now it's going to be like Zeke Naji or you know whoever else they're going to try to find to plug in in that in that backup backup role there so obviously they have deandre jordan's a backup five but they don't use him a lot but you know like i was thinking about how many teams tried to really spend the summer to match up with the nuggets to make moves to beat them somebody on the nuggets mentioned to me well sacramento because sacramento went out and got javel mcgee a little bit uh the lakers you know i was watching tonight and i was like you know jackson hayes we know how athletic he is it's just a question of can he ever put it together? Basketball IQ, stay on the floor. That's been Andrew Lopez's life for the last. It's some outside shots tonight. <laughs> Jackson Hayes was made two spectacular moves. We know he's capable of doing that. Uh, you know, obviously they had Christian Wood. Christian was not a defensive guy, and you know Jokic is probably going to abuse him on the offensive end. But at least they made moves where they got a little bit bigger because. Anthony Davis. We know that Anthony Davis has to be. I said this to Dave McMenamin. All last year, I mean, during that Western Conference Finals, AD has to be the best player on the floor for them to win that series. And I don't know if that's even capable now anymore with Nikola Jokic, but you have to be the second best player on the floor, hands down. And there were times that Anthony Davis wasn't even wasn't that last year in the Western Conference Finals. But they are going to need more than that to slow down the Nuggets. And I like a lot of the moves the Lakers did and the continuity and they got a little bit bigger. They can throw some bodies in Nikola Jokic. Um, but when you look around the rest of the league, yeah, Phoenix added all this offensive firepower. They went and got Bull Bull. They got Nurk. But like, are they really able to stop Denver? That's going to be a, a big question in my mind is how many teams in the Western Conference can stop Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and slow down the Nuggets? You know, the Jackson Hayes uh, hype machine there, Andrew. <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. Nash Nashville Jacks will always, always have a a place in Pelicans lore after they had some pre-camp there. I think it was it was yeah, it was last, last year or two years ago when they had pre-camp in Nashville uh because one of the storms that that hit New Orleans and Jackson was hitting all of he was hitting threes everywhere. And he was gonna be this great four because he finished the 21-22 season at the four and playing alongside Jonas Valanciunas, and it was great. But I think what I the, just to, to talk on Jackson real quick, what I saw from him tonight is what he has to do. He's going to have to finish around the rim, just be capable on offense, set some screens, which is, has been a, an issue sometimes of, of setting hard screens, and then just use his athleticism. He flew in for that block uh, out of nowhere. He had the big dunk. I mean, those are the things that Jackson Hayes excels at. He's never going to be a guy, though, to Ohm's point, that is going to be able to defend a Jokic, but I don't think there's many people who can defend a Jokic. So it's one of those things where I know the, the Pell strategy in the past has been let Jokic get 50 and then try to stop everybody else. And well, I that's think that's what happened. Yeah. When Jokic, yeah. It, I don't remember what the number was. Was it over 40? When Jokic had that high number in the playoffs, the Nuggets lost. So that strategy is not without merit to let Jokic get his. And like I the, agree. I don't like two, two ways, yeah. right? Like I, I talked to somebody in the Nuggets when I was out in camp that the two approaches always is, okay, we're going to let Jokic get his and we're going to take all the other guys away from him so he doesn't get his assists and those guys don't get into rhythm. Uh, or you get physical with him. You try to bother him. You try to get under his skin. 
You try to get them to get agitated with the refs, get agitated with everything else, start complaining about every little thing and affect his game that way. Um, I've seen the Lakers do that where they got physical with them. And at times it has worked, but last postseason, I didn't see (laughs) many teams get physical with them because I don't think they really had the personnel. Miami certainly didn't have the personnel to get physical with them. The Lakers didn't really get that. I mean, they took Anthony Davis off of him. They put Rui on him. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, that's the one thing like, Phoenix, DeAndre Aiden, no. I mean, he wasn't physical in by the end of that series. In the past, maybe Aiden had maybe given Jokic yeah. a little issues, but Anthony Davis has to be the guy. And I wonder about this when I heard that, you know, Darvin Ham wants him to shoot six threes. And yes, he's capable of making threes. But I want to see Anthony Davis taking Nikola Jokic inside, getting him in foul trouble. That's the way that I think the Lakers can beat them, which is for Anthony Davis to absolutely make Nikola Jokic work on the other end and get him into foul trouble. We didn't see that a lot in that series. I thought Jokic was as good as I've ever seen defensively in the finals. So, but, you know. Uh, Don't tell Michael Malone that because he thinks everybody from ESPN was out for a narrative to basically tear tear down his man, okay? Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. And um, it's, we we are we at ESPN are guilty of disrespecting the Nuggets on numerous occasions, but I do think that there's something to be said for that. And I also think that part of what happened with that team last year was they literally had almost everybody in their rotation playing their best basketball. You know, Aaron Gordon was playing the best basketball of his career. You know, maybe not Caldwell Pope, but you know, certainly was was very, very successful. And even when, you know, even, you know, I guess you could argue that it wasn't the case with Michael Porter because he sort of vanished for part of that series, but he delivered a big game when they needed it. So they had a lot by going the, for that. By the way, can I share one Aaron Gordon story with you? Uh, yes. I sat down with Aaron Gordon to talk about the summer of Jokic and how he went out to Sambor to see, to see Jokic and actually said, like, basically their chemistry off the court's even better than their chemistry on the court, which, by the way, I believe, according to ESPN Stats and Info, Jokic had like 155 assists to Gordon last year. It was second only to James Harden assists to Joel Embiid. So they had that chemistry. But I had to ask Aaron Gordon. I said, you know what? I, I haven't talked to you since the finals. I go, the last time I saw you, you were walking on the streets of Denver with no, no shirt. shirt on and your basketball <laughs> shorts. I go, how did that happen? He said. Dude, I was trying to get to my locker. And after about an hour of just drinking champagne and celebrating, the locker was packed. He goes, I could not get to my locker. And he's right. The Denver Nuggets (laughs) Nuggets locker room was like a club that was just packed nonstop for hours after that game. I mean, like at 2 a.m., I walked in there and I saw the Jokic brothers dancing with Michael Malone. It was insane. That was some great Uh, video of that. (laughs) So, so Aaron goes, so I just said, F it. I'm not going to go to my locker. I'm going to get in the car. My my joint is only like, you know, a couple blocks away. I don't live that far away. I, I live downtown. He says he gets in the car and it's bumper to bumper traffic. And he says, F it. I'm getting out of the car. I'm walking to my apartment. <laughs> so he That's says he gets. He was literally wearing his game worn shirt. Yes. Yes. He never changed. Like, Jokic... He never changed. But here's the thing. Jokic was in like four different outfits. <laughs> Jokic kept doing wardrobe well, changes. Well, remember, Jokic dumped Jamal Murray into the pool. Yes. Into the, yeah. Into the training room pool. Right. So he was soaking wet. And, of course, soaking wet with champagne. Yes. But eventually, at the end of the night, he got dressed. I mean, Aaron Gordon never made it to his locker. So Aaron goes, I get out of the car, and I'm walking. And first, it's five people. Then it's 10. Then it's 25, 50, 
now hundreds of people around me. And I go, you weren't, you weren't afraid for your safety. Like, did you have like a bodyguard with you? He goes, no, a couple of my boys. He goes, dude, he goes, I'm a big boy. I am big body. <laughs> he said, he said something like, I think he said something like if somebody wanted to riot, he goes, they ain't coming at me or something like that. <laughs> Listen, if, if there's a, there's a night where the community is going to collectively protect Aaron Gordon, it would it be the night, night. Yeah. <laughs> where they won the title and he was yeah. a huge part of it. Um, so I would just say that while I give the Nuggets every bit of their due, they were at they were performing it. If they can perform at a better level, I will be in awe because they were performing throughout the playoffs last year at a brilliant level. I mean, they they got was two two in that Sun series, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. it two two? And then the rest of the way they go ten and one. Okay, we all saw how competitive the NBA was last year. That the playoffs were generally competitive, you you know, wasn't the best. There was generally competitive, some seven game series, you know, certainly, you know, Lakers, Warriors, Warriors, Kings, you know, Sixers, Celtics, you know, Heat, Celtics. These were all like really grinder series, right? They go ten and one. Okay, they grabbed it by the throat. So what I'm saying is like, if the Nuggets can play better than that, God bless them. If the Nuggets can repeat that. God bless them. They were just all full speed ahead. So, you know, it's possible that they may not quite play at that quite exact level. Well, again. and the other thing too is the adjustment for them is going to be that teams are going to be coming after them every night now. There's no sneaking up on anybody anymore. The thing is yeah, that but they I have don't the, think they, I don't think I don't think Jokic is going to he's like a metronome, man. I mean, like, I, I don't know if it matters with a guy like him, but yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Jokic is. How much better can he really get? And I and I I asked Michael Malone. Doesn't have to I, get any. any well, no, but but here's the thing. Here's the thing. All great superstars, and I told Mike Malone this. All great superstars come back, and they add a new wrinkle, right? The great ones always do that. And because at first Malone was like, I don't tell him in the summertime, go work on your left hand hook when you go home. I just I always worry about his mental state of when he comes home after he leaves his mom, he leaves his dad, he leaves Sambor, he leaves his horses. Is he gonna be okay, right? But then I said, but. But look, if he was celebrating all summer long, how much does he work on his game? And when you got an all-time great like that, they almost always add things, right? And so I said, what what can he add? I guess defensively, he can always get better. But how about him shooting threes, like being more aggressive about it? Dude, he shot like 46% from three, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, in the postseason. And it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, right? So like the Nuggets, the Nuggets beat writers, they all say, well, you know what it is with Jokic? If you look at his percentage in the regular season, he shoots it okay. But it's just like he doesn't care to shoot it in the regular season. He shoots it when he has to in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And that's what you saw, like, you know, the heave over Anthony Davis. I mean, I I was thinking like, this guy could be like Dirk. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to shoot like Dirk, but if he adds to three and shoots it and is more aggressive, it opens everything else up for the Nuggets. Now, what are you going to do with him? And Michael Malone actually said, yeah, it not only opens things up for us, but now he can do that shot fake. And now he's, you know, heading in with a full head of steam into the paint. He can hit that runner or he creates for other guys. So I think actually if he, if he could add that wrinkle, I don't know. You know, Jokic, he's always going to be like, I take what the defense gives me, brother. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be aggressive with that three. <laughs> it's, but And it is it is a math problem for him. He calculates it like a supercomputer. He does. <laughs> but, but dude, think about how good he shot it from three. I mean, it's like if he adds know, that, he you're not, he's unstoppable. He slings it. The ball goes off the camera. 
and it splashes in. It's forty six point one percent from three, Wendy. I mean, geez. I mean, like I said, I don't know if they can play better. Like that. Like if you're looking for a way you beat them, you think they return. I would just say, you know, I, you know, talking to people around Denver, they always say that like when Jokic comes back from Serbia every year, like he, he almost his English is a little bit off almost because he like t- so checks out. He yeah. doesn't speak a word of English. <laughs> yeah, for like three months. And so maybe, you know, and we're seeing videos or whatever. And so maybe you're thinking, you know, he's got some sort of hangover. Like maybe. Not that that even matters in October. No. He's come back absolutely like he didn't even take a day off, which is not a surprise. But, you know, he looks absolutely spectacular. I, I think if- what helped him was that he did not play for Serbia this summer. I think he, like the, the previous summer he did. And I heard that, you know, like he came in the camp and he might not have been like he might have been his whole like, oh, here we go. I'm back to work again. But I heard that when he came back here this summer, he was in a great mental area. And then like, you know, like uh, Peyton Watson actually said he goes, I he's more vocal this year. And I said, well, what what give me an example? What why is he more vocal? And he said, we had the referees come in yesterday to give us to talk about the new rules. And he goes, Joey Crawford's telling us new rules. Nicola had 10 questions. And he goes, wow. he said something, and he said, last year, Nicola would have said nothing. And he said, so now we see him being more fun. I, I was thinking to myself, I would think Nicola would be going at Joey Crawford every referee session every summer because he's pissed off about the officiating all the time. But uh, Mike Malone actually joked. He said, I thought the two were going to go at it because Nicola was telling Joey Crawford, listen, brother. I know you say this is the rule, but they ain't calling it. And this is why. And Nicola was going back and forth with the guy. And but they were saying that Nicola is more vocal this this camp, which I think is a definite plus for them. Yeah. They also signed Justin Holiday. I don't know if he exactly is the Jeff Green type player, but that's kind of the role. He's not, you know, he's not as big as Jeff Green. He's not going to play this. He can't really play four. But that also, I just would point out that they did sign a guy like that who, yeah. in theory, is like a veteran who's been around the league and come in a little bit. Um, but, all right, well, the Nuggets seem to be doing fine. <laughs> uh, they, they, they're definitely <laughs> going to have to be reckoned with. Um, so before we go, I wanted to check in on the Lopez belt, as I call it, um, New Orleans <laughs> and, uh, and Oklahoma City. Um uh, not Oklahoma City, San Antonio. Sorry, sold it on the brain. I had to, um, had to check bummed, for a second. I'm bummed, Lopez, that um, Chet Holmgren didn't play for the Thunder on Sunday, so no new Chet Holmgren data. And also, the <laughs> Spurs announced um, on yes. Sunday that uh, Victor Wembanyama is not playing on Monday. Uh, who are they playing tomorrow? I don't even remember. Uh, it's the first of two at Houston. Houston's going to play here, I think, Monday and Wednesday, and it's. Before anybody else gets any, it's a it's just a rest day type type situation where yeah, almost all of the Spurs starters are getting one day off, you know, in the preseason. Like it's also Devin Vassell and Trey Jones are also sitting uh, on Monday night along along with Victor. But um, I'm still recovering from our our trip to Oklahoma well, City last week, so <laughs> and then it only got City. better. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Look, you and I. We're at Oklahoma City for that game. I talked a lot about it on the pod. And then Victor went out and had almost probably a better game. 100%. One of the things I said, one of the things I was talking about on the pod was like, you know, he probably shouldn't be dribbling so much because he got, <laughs> he kind of got, you know, he didn't dribble so great in summer league and he didn't dribble so great in the open. It was like the one thing he struggled with. And then 
he comes out and puts on a couple of moves off the dribble. Uh, was it on Friday night or Saturday night? Friday, um, Friday night. It was the in and out behind the back uh, fadeaway from like 16 or 17. He, he made I couldn't, even, I couldn't even see the ball on that Lopez. <laughs> it was so I mean, I was looking at the I was looking at the highlight on my phone, yes, and I got a I got a big iPhone Pro, but it's like I couldn't even see the ball. It, it, one, it's one ridiculous. play on the left elbow, he like made a spin move fadeaway where he didn't escape dribble. Yep. Then he came down the right side. And this is one thing that I remember him from watching him last year. He went low. He dropped his body. This is one of the things that um, his coaches, when I talked to his coaches, his youth coaches, they always taught him to dribble low. Uh, even when he was 12 and he was, you know, six, four, they taught him to dribble low. He got low, went right, um, crossed over, stepped back, fade away. And it was like jaw dropping. And then in a play that I, this isn't as impactful as the play last year where he missed the three pointer and then got a tip dunk. Yeah. But he was bringing the ball up the court down the right side. And I can't remember who he threw it to, but he threw the ball. He's, he's bringing the ball. He throws the ball to somebody on the right wing behind the three-point line. Trey Jones. He is also out. Trey Jones. Yep. Like, I, I, got, I got something on this one. Go ahead. Okay. He throws the ball to Trey Jones. And then as soon as he lets go of the ball, he's 24 feet from the basket, give mm-hmm. or take. Am I correct in saying this? That is, you are correct. The ball isn't even at Trey Jones's hands or, you know, okay, I guess if you went and looked at the replay, maybe the ball is in Trey Jones's hand for a split second. And Victor points that he wants a lob. He calls for a lob 24 feet from the basket. Basically, he wants a give and go. Yep. And Trey Jones does, and Victor scores on the lob. Like... But it Andrew. was where he threw that lob. <laughs> I mean, it, he threw that lob um, like near the free throw line inside the paint. I mean, it was amazing. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't even believe that he got to that ball, caught it, and dunked it from that far out. I told Ty Lue this. I, I talked to Ty Lue the other day at practice. I go, did you see that alley-oop? And he's like, yeah. And I, I go, I, it's one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. And he goes, Nico Batum has been telling us this for two years now about this kid. <laughs> the funniest thing about this whole play, the point, the give and go, and it's as we talked to Trey Jones about this after the game, Trey Jones says, first off, the craziest thing about the play, when you sit back and look at it, wasn't the fact the lob or anything else. It's the fact that I was 6'2 on a good day, setting a screen for a guy who's 7'4. Like, let's talk about that part of of what Victor is first. As soon as he touched it, Victor is behind the three-point line when Trey Jones when Trey Jones lets the ball go. Victor has a foot behind the three-point line. And Trey Jones says, I was just lobbing it. I wasn't trying to throw an alley-oop. He did the rest. <laughs> he wasn't trying to throw the alley-oop. He just knew if I put the ball in the air, Vic, where only Vic can get it, he'll t- he'll take care of the rest. And boy, did he take care of the rest. And when we're talking to Devin Vassell after the game about it, Devin's like, that wasn't even the most impressive play. That's right. I know he's what more, you're going to say. He's yeah. more impressed by the Euro step dunk 
where Victor started in like one step inside the free throw line. And, that was the Thomas. That was the Thomas Bryant play. No, that was not the Thomas Bryant play. That was another play. The Thomas Bryant one's when he just catches it. I think he did a little spin and then just finished over Thomas Bryant. This was one in the first half where he's on the break in his first step as he's catching it. So his first, as soon as he's putting his foot down, he's maybe a few inches inside the three-point line. And then Euros and finishes with a dunk, and it's a clean basketball play. And just the the amount of distance he is traveling with his Euro, we were joking afterwards, it's probably the longest Euro step in NBA history. But, I mean, he just, he (laughs) makes so much, so much distance. Trey was kind of like, look, I I just put the ball in the air. And the fact that he can catch it and it's, the Thomas Bryant dunk was another one that, you know, you get lost in everything that Wimby did that night. And it's just day after day, I mean, game after game, he's just going to continue to have these these freakish plays. I am not trying to create more work for you, Lopez, but my first <laughs> year with the Lakers when Lonzo was here, we basically did like a running diary of Lonzo's triple B shoes. And what uh, there was one point where Lonzo in the preseason was wearing a different shoe. <laughs> he was wearing like every a different quarter. shoe like every game. And we did like a running diary of like what he was wearing and why you, I, I think it would be fascinating if you did every game, one play that just made our jaws drop. And you probably will have one every single night with Victor Wembanyama. You know what the problem is going to be figuring out one. Yeah. yeah. Cause you go the other night. I mean, is it the Thomas Bryant up where Thomas Bryant turns around to his own bench and is like, what do I do? Yeah. Is it the, is it it the 24 foot Euro? Is it the lob from, uh, when he's behind the, you know, I mean, the, or or the the play with a seven four guy, you know, in and out behind the back fadeaway, and it's like it's nothing. I mean, there's there's just been a number of them each game so far where he well, just the, the, it doesn't make sense. The Thomas Bryant play, Victor dunks the ball from outside the restricted area. Yes, with his left hand, Thomas Bryant, who's playing for the Heat. The, this is all against the Heat. Everything in this game we're talking about. He dunks the ball with his left hand from outside the restricted area. And Thomas Bryant, there's this, um, I wish I could tell you who said it or who videoed it. A fan is taking video from like second or third row from courtside. And after Wembenyama dunks it, I mean, it's out there. There's millions of views. I'm sure you've seen it. If you're listening to this podcast, Thomas Bryant looks over at the heat bench, like what the hell was that? Uh, like, I, I don't even know what I just saw. And so, yeah, these are all plays from one preseason game. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. By the way, I just want to talk something a little bit real quick about Victor Wembanyama's height because he's all over the place. And you just said 7 4 ohm. Typically, NBA players' heights in the roster are in shoes. Victor Wembanyama, when he was measured by the Spurs, came at seven foot three and a half without shoes. Okay. <laughs> so if he puts shoes on, he is over seven four. He's probably seven five, but calling him seven five is not unreasonable. And the other night when Lopez and I were there, he towers, towers over Zach Collins, who's six eleven, and is significantly taller than Chet Holmgren. Well, Chet- that picture, that picture of him holding his hands up. And someone is trying to shoot a three over him where it looks like you're trying to shoot a three over a wall. 
it's 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 insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. So he credit to Ludor for making that, by the way. The first right. there was a there was one of the first game where, where he made one over that wall. Okay, so he obviously prefers to be called seven three. The Spurs have him listed at seven three. You hear people talking about how he is seven three. When he's out in the court, he is seven five. The people in France routinely refer to him as seven five. And he might still be growing, right? It's possible. I don't know. I'm just saying you're seeing all these different <laughs> you're seeing all these different you're hearing people say seven three, seven four, seven five. Officially in bare feet, seven three and a half. That's what the Spurs measured him at when he arrived, because he didn't go to the pre-draft camp because uh he was still playing for Fran in France. So just just want to get that when, when he gets low, him. Wendy. What height do you think he's at when he's dribbling at when you say That's he's dribbling low? Question. Do you think That's he's dribbling question. down it's, to like six four, six two? I don't know, but it's still a it's he's still gonna be able to get ripped because the right. ball is still coming. There's the, the, the height that the ball comes up, even with his quote unquote low dribble, he's still vulnerable to getting his pocket picked. The same thing happened with Kevin Durant. Durant, I think I've said this before, his like first three or four years in the league, he averaged more turnovers than assists because he'd get his pocket picked because the ball had to travel so far. Now, Wembenyama is a better dribbler than Kevin Durant was when he came in the league. And this is one of the things I've been saying. The last five MVPs are seven-footers. So you're talking about, you know, Harden won it six years ago, then Giannis twice, Jokic twice, um, Embiid. They're all seven-footer above. I don't know what Giannis is listed at, but he's might be seven one. I don't know. Victor is taller than all of them by several inches. You know, I think Embiid's seven two, and he's better than all of them at age nineteen. I think that's. I don't think anybody would debate that he's better than all of them and taller than all of them when they were the same age. So just keep that in mind when you're looking at him. So I do think that that dribble is going to be susceptible to getting picked. And he's going to have some turnovers off the dribble, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to also do some spectacular stuff. Um, but I do think one of the things that we're going to see as this year goes on is he's going to want to have that dribble because all bigs want to be wings and teams are going to attack that. So, but Lopez, I mean, what's the, what are people in the, you know, I know the Spurs are downplaying it, but come on, man. Like they, they, they can't hide from this. So, I think I think both Devin and might have been Malachi Branham have both said at various times this thing. Like I think even Sohan has said it as well. It doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. Like it, it it takes a while for your brain to process. And I think I asked Trey the other night, like when did you figure out that you could just I don't know, just just put it up? Like it, I mean, obviously the catch radius is is ridiculous and he's like very quickly <laughs> very very quickly you realize that there were things that he could do offensively that just bail you out and and that's not even talking about we've we've, we've had multiple guys say you know i can now play way more aggressive defensively knowing that he's back there and there were a number of plays the other day where uh, i think both against oklahoma city and Miami where his presence just changes the shot. He doesn't even have to get the block. I think there was one where Victor throws an inbounds pass. Somebody doesn't come down. 
because of their point guard situation, which I want to talk about in a second. Victor makes a turnover, and I think it was Haywood Heisman. He gets it and goes to the rim. Victor's on the other side, and just Victor's presence on the other side of the rim. Haywood's like, mm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass this out and try to set something else, else back up. He, he's already doing that at 19, and and teams are like, mm, maybe we shouldn't go in there. He's uh, played two games. Two yeah, games. when when he's down there. So, but I will say, I think we t- during media day, Pop said one of the things that this team needed to figure out is what is Victor Wembanyama's position? Is he a four? Is he a five? Is he a three? And I think in the first majority of the first two preseason games, all of the Oklahoma City game, he played the four. It was, he. I think he mostly shared the court with Zach Collins, a little bit That's with it. Charles Bassey. Against the Heat, San Antonio did a couple of things that were different. Keldon Johnson has, has not played a preseason game yet because of a small hamstring issue. I think he is expected to play Monday. Zach Collins got his rest day. And in their place, they started uh, Charles Bassey and Jetty Osmond. But at the one, they started Jeremy Sohan in what could be a very supersized lineup if they With decide Sohan, to roll six, with eight. Sohan yes. six, eight. So you're looking at, at Jeremy at the one. This would take Trey Jones out of the lineup, make Trey Jones the six man. Because if you have Jeremy at the one, Devin at the two, Keldon Johnson at the three, Vic at the four, Zach Collins at the five, Trey Jones, in theory, could come in for any one of those players. <laughs> That's correct. And you shift your lineup around. You know what? That is a real basic that is a real basic statement, but that is damn right. That is I mean, who brings right. who brings the ball up the floor? Jer- Sohan Sohan is the one in that line. So like they, you could pressure him. Of course, I mean, I don't know if you want to do that, but like you could pressure him, right? Yeah. So and I think they'll 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 experiment. We saw some experimentation in that game and there were a couple of times I think Devin even said at one point, "Hey, like go go be a guy like he was giving it up too much like you can like we're, you're the guy right now go be the point guard and i think trey's the perfect guy to kind of in this situation maybe come off the bench as the sixth man and he can come in if if victor picks up two fouls you know in the first four minutes okay trey can come in everybody slides up a position you know if the same thing happens to zach okay victor can slide to the five because in this game they did it finally we saw some victor at the five minutes in spurts but that potential starting lineup, if if they want to roll with that, is almost the epitome of positionless basketball right now and, and what everybody could do. Because if Vic, if Vic gets a rebound, he's going to push it. You could do the same thing with Devin. And, I mean, it's just – it's very the, interesting the, to see. The problem with that lineup is Sohan isn't really a shooter. Collins is inconsistent, and Victor is inconsistent from the outside. He's not yet proven he can't. In that lineup, you're leaning real heavy on Vassell. Who just happened to go six of seven the other night, so maybe it made it look well, a little easier. He is very good. <laughs> he is very good. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I think we're going to constantly see stuff with the Spurs doing that. I mean, I don't. Know, I mean, it's extraordinarily rare. You guys have heard me talk about this on the pod before. It's extraordinarily rare for a rookie to truly impact winning and losing. I mean, he helps win. He helps you improve, but like. LeBron didn't, Luca didn't, Durant didn't. Like these were, you know, I mean, I don't have an exhaustive list in front of me, but like it's very unusual. So I, the Spurs are gonna are still an incomplete team, but I just, I just think it's not too for Pop. He's talked about this experimentation and what these lineups are gonna look like, and I think this is just showing how much they are willing to experiment this year as they still try to figure out. Well, ultimately, because the ultimate question is, what is the best way to get the most out of Victor and then figure out the team around him? And you just keep experimenting until until you figure that out. Right. I mean, in all honesty, like who on this roster are you 100 percent sure is going to be on this team in 
three years, two years. I would say right now, Victor and Vassell. I mean, I don't think anybody else, they're like, you know, overwhelming. I mean, you know, they would never say that. They're right. They, they love all their players. But like, seriously, like if two years from now, like a whole bunch of the team had turned over, like it wouldn't surprise you. I think I think they really like Vassell. And obviously it's Victor. I think the rest of it is sort of, a, I, I do think Sohan potentially is a real. Yeah, yeah I was going to say he would, he would be the third guy on that list for me. But again, for I'm sure. a little bit worried about the spacing. I'm right. just so interested this year. But listen, I mean, Victor's played part-time of two games and he's generated 10 highlight plays, seven highlight plays. It's crazy. It's both sides. It's, like this is, I mean, it's not, I mean, I think a couple of the blocks that he has made. Well, he had, uh, it, he had a block in Oklahoma City. Like I, I didn't even really talk Williams about block. it. Jalen Williams makes a good play to get past him, which you expect him to. Jalen Williams is gone. He's going to the rim. He's free and clear. And he got swatted. He just got it totally. He had no idea Victor could come over the top of his head like he did to block that shot. Let me ask you something. Do you guys think the officials will know how to officiate this guy? Like, like when Shaq came in and was so physical and dominant, the officials did just were calling fouls on him all the time because they didn't never seen a guy like that. I mean, yeah, since Shaq Will probably, with, but like, was, but like, it was hard to officiate a guy like Shaq. This guy, you've never seen a guy like this before. How are you gonna, how are you gonna officiate him with his length and the shots he's blocking from behind and like whether or not it's gonna be contact or not? I feel like there are gonna be a lot of nights we're gonna see Wembenyama getting a ton of foul trouble, and it might not be Maybe legit. Not. I think the defensive end. I think the defensive end, he it's it's going to be okay. I think the thing, it's going to be like the over the backs. Those are going to be the calls that I'm just like, it's it's going to be hard because it, I mean he's just jumping straight up and he's just going to put the ball like those are the ones or maybe on the glass are are, are going to be the ones. I think the problem with like a Shaq or like even a, even a Zion when he when he just bowls into people is he's just so strong it doesn't make sense. Like that that is where it was the strength of them is kind of where. Victor the, moves the side to side. Yeah. Victor moves side to side. I my guess is Victor's issue, in addition to loose ball fouls, will be charges because eventually people will realize first off, he's gonna it looks like he's I think teams are gonna guard him with potentially threes and fours. I think that's mm-hmm. where we're headed. So obviously he's gonna be bigger than everybody, but he may have enormous size on people, and so their only defense will be to just flop or throw themselves in front of him. But I will say that again in the French league, he was second as an 18-year-old. He was second in free throws. He knows how to get to the line, and he has been getting to the line in his first two NBA games. He will, he is shifty. He goes side to side. He will get, I think he's going to go to get to the line. You know, Shaq sometimes got the line a lot because A, he wasn't a good free throw shooter, and B, sometimes it's the only recourse you had. You just had to. to there were a lot, there were a lot of times when Shaq was fouled and they never called it. You know what I mean? Just because he just didn't move. Oh, 100%. But, 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 so but, and, and I know Wembyan is a totally different body. And what I'm talking about is like, is exactly what you said, Lopez, is that when he comes from behind and he just unbelievably blocks a shot out of nowhere that we were not expecting, I, I hope referees don't call fouls on those things just because they're just not used to seeing Here's something thing, crazy um, like that. And they think there was body uh, he's gonna contact get him, there. He's going to get him clean. He's going to get him. He's going <laughs> to block those shots and they're going to stun the hell out of everybody because they're going to think they got it away clean. There was one the other night. Like the Jalen Williams. Oh, there was one against Thomas Bryant the other night where it was, he came from the other side of the rim. I think got it. He might've got it with his left hand. First of all, the the shot from above, you just see his hand on top of the ball. That's all you see. (laughs) 
It's just, it's one of those shots that you're like, again, it doesn't make sense, but it was called a foul because it looked like, oh, there's no way he would have got that clean. Challenge the call. Right. This is the one I was talking about, right? Because it looked like it was almost like arm to arm, right? Like at one point. And he just, uh, it's doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. And Lopez, I, I was worried that Victor was going to take some time and he probably is still going to take some time, but two games in, <laughs> you know, another, another 15 scouts, by the way, another 15 scouts were at that, uh, yeah, at that game last Friday. <laughs> I know. Like people were like, Oh, well it's because the Spurs might have to cut people. And I'm like, yeah. And they want to see Victor. That's all true. Yeah. And they want to see Victor. And that was definitely the case. I think what against Oklahoma city, because Oklahoma city does have to cut a really good player. Uh, in theory, but yeah, no, they want to see Victor. Victor. It's Victor. Victor. (laughs) I mean, it's all, it's all Victor. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for stopping by. Appreciate your time. Thanks for making uh, us smarter here on the hoop collective. Thank you to Jackson for producing. And we will talk to you later this week, by the way, we should have a special guest on Thursday. You guys know that I don't have special guests outside the collective off often. We do have a guest booked. I don't want to assume that he will make it, but we do a potentially special guest for Thursday. So tune in. I say Thursday. I'm recording Thursday. It will come out Friday. So tune in to find out if it actually happened or not or if I'll never mention it again.